wanna cause no problems I just wanna live my life but I keep on hearing about nonsense Me and my dons ain't mobsters But you know when you see imposters We know how to read them faces same way you know how to read Hey everybody and welcome to the Death of Vanilla Podcast I'm your host Stephen Burkhart of Burkhart Creative Agency And we are so excited that you're here listening today I have an incredible guest, Brian Kaplan, and he has had quite a journey building his own agency and really discovering who he really was and what his business was all about. And I think this is super important because, as we talked about before, the process of getting noticed requires you to stand out and you oftentimes stand out by simply being yourself because no one else can be you. So be sure to tune in so that way you can hear the story on how all that happens. Now, as a little plug, um, I am the owner of Burger Creative Agency, and my creative agency is based in Phoenix, and we create content for brands so they get noticed instead of getting ignored. And yeah, this is super important because, let's be honest, the digital space is super competitive, it, is, it requires you to show up often because these horrible algorithms make it so freaking hard to get noticed even by your own fan base. And so being able to show up consistently over and over again, often enough that people actually take notice of you is actually really challenging and we help you do that. Now, even if you are out of state and listening, there are other services that we offer with advertising, with branding, and other sorts of ways that you can position your business that you stand out. So don't forget to check that out as well. Head over to BurkhartCreativeAgency.com. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Brian Kaplan. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Death to Vanilla podcast. I'm your host, Stephen, and I have Brian Kaplan on the show with me today. Uh, which I'm super excited. So you can see from his uh, cool green screen, he's got the bi- uh, bigger, wow, bigger, better biz <laughs> blueprint, right? That is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the bigger, better biz channel. It's definitely a mouthful. I love sure. it, but it's all bees. So that's super fun. Um, but yeah, so he is a national speaker for big t- tech companies like Google and Constant Contact. Um, CEO of, and host of the Bitter, Bigger Better Biz Marketing Channel on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so you talk about all kinds of digital marketing topics, specifically for small businesses. And uh, you do a lot of coaching, guest lecturing, uh, colleges, universities, all over the place. Uh, mm-hmm. And here was, I thought, the most impressive part, <laughs> just because most people would die to be a column, columnist in anywhere. Uh, but yeah. you uh, you do publications with GoDaddy, WordPay, sorry, WorldPay, Bluehost, yep. Constant Contact, and Classy.org, and yep. the Boston Business Journal. So super excited to have you on the show, man. You're clearly overqualified to be talking. Um, <laughs> Thank so. you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I think we've got a fun topic, and I hopefully it's going to help some people. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think one thing that would really you know, that's really going to set the foundation for all of this. And, um, you know, really the theme of the show is learning how to stand out, right? I got my cool shirt that I just made called Get Noticed or Get Ignored. And so it's just the idea that, um, thank you, um, that you got to get noticed, right? And to get noticed, you have to stand out. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a, a sea of five foot five people and someone that's seven foot walks in from the NBA, you're going to notice them because mm-hmm. there's this, this, this standard and they're significantly taller than that standard. 
And so uh, obviously yeah. that's a visual example, but there's going to be ways that uh, you learn how to do that uh, as you grew your agency. So spoiler alert, you have an agency. And so I would love to hear how that started and kind of like the journey you took through that, because I know there's some branding shifts and some things that happened there. So I'd love for you to unpack that for everyone who's watching. Sure. I guess I'll piggyback first on what you just said. I mean, standing out. So uh, one of the, the questions that we had talked about before, and I think this whole idea of the death to vanilla podcast is awesome. Just that whole concept. So when I think of death to vanilla, I actually reminded of a poem that my late grandfather shared with me called pretty good by Charles Osgood. And it talks about this journey of a pretty good student who had pretty good grades all the way to the point where there's a realization that pretty good just isn't good enough. So when I think of, of building my agency, when I think of this whole idea of tying it into death to vanilla, I think of, I can't be pretty good. It's just not enough. Right. I'm always, I'm, don't grow complacent. So I'd say, you know, that's kind of been my impetus for growing the agency. Uh, I'll kind of give you a quick background. You know, I, I graduated from University of Oregon. I was in this uh, fancy honors business program with all these other kids who, you know, had applied to Harvard and Wharton and basically we didn't get in. So we're in our own little cohort and uh, graduated and thought, hey, man, I'm going to be making six figures right out the gate. It was 2008. I was lucky if I was making $6, let alone six figures. So I found myself scraping, scrimping, trying to find a job, moved myself over to the East Coast where I'm from in Boston area, started a t-shirt company with some friends. And basically it was a huge learning lesson of what not to do when you have startup capital. We had $100,000 to start and the three other guys on the team just didn't know what the heck to do with it. So here I was being the bookworm, writing a marketing plan, a business plan. And I learned that, you know what, those are good. They're guides, but you know, unless you have the group buy-in and that dynamics there, it's not going to work. So I found myself in the tech industry working at a startup. And then after $20 million of venture capital and building their partner program leaps and bounds, I found myself out of work. And that was just over 10 years ago. I had a bunch of ideas, but I ended up starting what's now Brian Kaplan Marketing, our marketing agency. So very roundabout way to get you to where we are. Now, you had asked the question, like, what are the challenges, the trials and tribulations of building the agency, right? I think you know it too, right? Any agency owner knows you kind of put your stake in the ground, you put your shingle on above the door and you're a legitimate business. But what does that mean? Right. And just because you're legitimate and subjectively the people that know you, you're legitimate to them, doesn't mean that anyone's going to know you like you or trust you enough to give you their business. Right. Oh yeah. So I'd say, um, I mean, I, I don't want to talk on and on if you have other questions, but go for it. it I, yeah. Okay. The, I, I really think the thing here is this, when you're establishing your business, uh, in this case, let's talk about a marketing agency, any kind of consulting services or coaches that are listening, right? I'd say the big thing is obviously you need to make a name for yourself and you realize really quickly that you are a small fish in a gigantic ocean. And it's kind of hard. It's almost like you have that quarter life crisis, you know, or midlife or whatever, a 30 year old, 40 year old crisis where you're like, what the heck am I doing? How do I make sure that people know who I am? Yeah. For us, it's been a bunch of pivots. 
fortunately, I, I had a good start and learned email marketing, web design, social media. But when I started the agency, I was being everything to everyone. And I was basically a generalist that would take my first client. I literally have it up on the wall. My first proposal was for $125 a month for a sandwich shop that was located about 10 miles away. And during the, uh, the signing of the proposal, I crossed out for dramatic effect 125 and wrote 100 and initialed it because I wanted him to think he was getting good value. Oh no. <laughs> Guess what? 20 hours a month of work, oh social God. media, email, running the website, taking photos. And in my, you know what? The first time I got that check, I called my wife and said, honey, if I just get 24 more of these clients, we'll be good. I was being the pretty good student. Yeah. So I've learned over time. I think one of the things that I can share with everyone is to know your value. And that's, you know, that's inherent. Like when you're starting, you just need to, you need to get business. You need to get clients. But very quickly, I learned that it's really important to actually make sure that you are serving your clients in a way that brings them value and demonstrates your value at the same time. Uh, so it's been a bunch of pivots from there, uh, working with different tech companies and being a speaker for Constant Contact and then pivoting over to Google and working with the Grow With Google program. It's just been a whole bunch of fun and, and learning lessons along the way. No, that's awesome. I mean, you couldn't possibly do all of that without learning a lot of amazing lessons along the way of, of what to do and what not to do, right? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you, you talked about starting out as a generalist. Um, sure. And uh, you, th you threw in a phrase that I don't necessarily take offense to, but I think that some people abuse the term is actually what I mean by that. I feel like some people just say it, but it doesn't, like, it's not really grounded in anything, which is the idea sure. of know your worth, right? And so mm -hmm. that's, it, that can be, you know, you could say that, but then at the same time, it's like, well, then how do you know what your worth is? Like, who defines that? Like, and so, you know, and, and certainly I've been through that, like my start was in the wedding industry. And so, you know, I'd find that nobody would spend, you know, like a thousand dollars to have me shoot their video. And then someone else would call me and be like, oh, yeah, that'd be, you know, two and a half thousand dollars. Sure. And it was like, it was like nothing. I'm like, oh my gosh, where are more of you? And uh, mm -hmm. so it's so funny. You can get yourself in a situation where you actually think you can't charge a certain amount of money. And then you find out like you actually can, you can actually charge a lot more than that. And a lot more people are charging a lot more than that every single day. So how yeah. is it that you begin to discover what your value is? You bring up a good point, right? It is overused. It's tossed around a lot. And especially like life gurus and things like that are all about knowing your worth, right? So it's definitely, you're right. I, I'd say it's figuring out a few things. One, it's coming to grips with the fact that you only have 24 hours in the day. So no one's promised more time. No one's got 25 hours. It's 24. And right away, you need to take away time for sleep. Now, some people watching or listening can get away with three hours of sleep. Good for you. I can't. <laughs> right. I, need, I need six to eight, right, to function. And then factor in personal life stuff. I had a wife at the time, so it was easy for me. I could work around the clock. Now I've got two kids. Olivia's six, Bryce is four, and I've got my wife, Linda. Like, I'm a family man. I need to be there for them and ensure that they have a good quality of life, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, your 24 hours start turning into 12 hours, 10 hours, eight hours. Once you can figure out how many hours you can dictate 
and really dedicate to your business, that's when you start getting into diving into what's your value. And for me, it's uh, it's a few things, right? It's not being a generalist because a generalist is great, but a generous generalist is also you could throw a rock and hit one. So it's really you hear about niching or getting into a specific skill set. Yeah, it's having those skill sets. It's still having the competency to for me to be able to help people with Facebook or Instagram or something. That's not my specialty. That's not what I want to do. In fact, if I didn't have to do social media, I wouldn't. But do I understand the best practices and technical aspects? Yes. So it's something that's secondary. I think knowing your worth is figuring out what do you enjoy doing? What do you enjoy consulting or coaching on? And where do you get the most intrinsic value from providing those services? When I started, like I told you, one of my clients, I was doing social media and my wife can attest, I was on the phone all the time, replying to comments, sharing everything. And one day I'll tell you, it kind of was an eye opener. We had almost a falling out. He was one of my mentors, but also a client. And he, he pointed to his product. He said, do you know how many of these I have to sell to justify your worth? And that right there, I was thinking, why the heck am I sitting on my phone for five hours a day? It's not what I enjoy doing. So that intrinsic value comes into it, right? What's rewarding for you? And I think finally, it's like you said, understanding the market. So there are mastermind groups. There are things like this where you get to talk to other colleagues in the industry. There's also just the simple Google search and figuring out if people have pricing, what they're charging. I mean, it's not that you have to be the loss leader. It's not that you have to be the priciest person in the, in the game, but to understand where the market sensitivity is and what people are willing to pay, that really does help. And that even comes into the whole idea of learning how to prospect, right? So when you're dealing with a client, you're talking to a prospect, uh, listen, you want to do all these things. What's your budget? What's the ballpark? Yeah, that's honestly one of the questions that I ask, because for me, I could throw a kitchen sink at everyone. My mind, when you start telling me about your business, my mind just goes, it's off. And it's like looping around the track because I have so many ideas. There's only so much time in a day and there's only a finite budget. So tell me your budget and then I can figure it out. And from there, that's where I derive the value. I know what's going to bring return. I know what's going to help with perception and impression of the brand. And ultimately I know what's going to make the, the client happy and satisfied. And that's where I kind of, it's, it's a very subjective thing, but at the same time helps me determine value. Oh, absolutely. And I think that like, maybe like a, uh, an obvious example would be like the difference between like a doctor and then a surgeon and then a brain surgeon, right? These are all different <laughs> people who bring value, but they, they begin to become more specific and more, you know, niche, like you mentioned. And so at that point, yep. they can demand those higher prices because there are a lot of doctors, but fewer surgeons and even fewer brain surgeons. And I'll tell you what, if you need your brain worked on, who are you going to call, right? You're going to pay any price because you know, a brain you're surgeon. Knows you're not going to urgent care. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you sure not. I'll give you, I'll give you a great example, actually, uh, talking about specialization. One of my friends, one of my very good friends, uh, started out as a dating coach in Boston ended up creating a YouTube channel and, and just killed it. Amazing. You know, not only is he getting millions of views and all these subscribers, he's bringing in six figures plus maybe seven figures from YouTube just on monetization, which is unheard of. And he started his own video consulting business, which was kind of the, the impetus of the catalyst for me to start my video coaching division. Uh, He since sold that 
And now if you went to him and asked him, hey, can you help me with video? He starts at 80,000 bucks retainer. <laughs> what agency owner or consultant or coach would love to say, hey, yeah, great. Do you have $80,000 to start? So again, it's like, if you can specialize and if you know what's going on, you understand the trends and you can even just kind of dilute and distribute and distill the best practices to a client in a way that they can understand, your value just shoots up because you're helping them understand something they never knew. I, I love that. That's amazing. That's an incredible example because <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's, that's just a super good example. Um, now, one thing that I'd like for us to unpack a little bit is sure. uh, you talked about at the beginning that you were a bit of a generalist, right? And so sometimes yeah. I think what can happen is we get ourselves into like this mental space where we've kind of presented our business to the world as one thing. And we're like, oh, I actually have to change that. Um, and so there's like this kind of like public persona, which is a little more difficult to manage because internally we can change all the time. But then now we've got to sit here and be like, well, everyone's known me for this now. How do I change? And so I'd love to hear a little bit about how you ended up working through your change in like your messaging and some of your branding as you transitioned from going from a generalist to more of a specialist. Sure. So let, let's start with the whole idea of a business name, right? When I was starting, uh, remember again, I'm in this, this kind of mind frame. I'm dating this girl who I was like head over heels for. I'm living in a shared house with three other roommates in a suburb of, of Boston in Brighton, which is right outside Boston, right down the street from Fenway Park. Um, I'm on unemployment. I got a little severance package. I had my car, which I owned. I had a bunch of bills and didn't know where the money was going to come from. So I'm freaking out because I'm very yeah. like, you know, I'm, I, I know my stuff and I have a plan always. So here I am and I'm thinking I got to start a business and I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe like Beantown Marketing or Boston Marketing Company. And then I, I talked to a few family members shouldn't have listened. And one of them said, well, why would you, you know, localize and say, I'm just in Boston because you want a service anywhere. I'll get to that in a second. But basically the, it came to be that I called myself BJC branding. Two things here. One, never choose an acronym for your name because it is a dyslexic nightmare. No one can get it. No one understands acronyms, nor do they remember them. I was CBJ, JBC, BCJ, I could, nobody could get BJC. So that's one. Branding was a giant misnomer. I could do graphic design. My logo was horrible to start. And so right away, I'm painting a picture that I can do your branding, but I don't even have mine on lockdown. So that was number one. Realizing, I think it took me like three or four years that BJC branding just had to go. Mm. So it's coming to grips with that. Then it's a matter of, you know, we've gone through iterations. I, I always make a mug for the different brands that I've had so that I can sip on the coffee and look at it and be like, oh, you schmuck. So BJC <laughs> branding was the first one. Uh, Presto Social was another one. Don't know what I was thinking there, but I paid $800 for a design from some designer in LA that I thought would be fancy. That went out the window in a year because that was just a horrible name. So I kept evolving, kept evolving. And then finally we landed on this idea of Brian Kaplan marketing. Now, very egotistical, it would seem from the outside, but there's a reason to it, right? Yeah. So if you look at the context of, of the branding and the name, uh, BJC Branding started, I was trying just to do anything I could for anyone. So branding, it's all a part of branding. Presto Social, I started focusing in social media and realized I did not want to do that at all. 
Now, you know, as we've established, I get to present. I'm very fortunate that I get to present to people, folks all over the country, right? And I can go talk to small business owners in California. I haven't been to Arizona yet. Denver, you know, Florida, all the way in New England, everywhere. I've really literally been to most of the states. So it's really nice because I get to meet small business owners. But the thing is, I'm there under the guise of constant contact or grow with Google. And so I don't want to be known as the Google guy. I want to be known as Brian Kaplan, the guy that can help you with your marketing. So that's where we created Brian Kaplan Marketing and really how we've kind of gone through these iterations to a point where, you know, it just makes sense. Uh, If you watch the YouTube channel, which you said, it's right there, you know, bigger, better biz. And if you go on the website and everything else, you're seeing me probably to the point of ad nauseum. That's okay. (laughs) But I'm the figurehead. I'm the guy. So if you're going to look for Brian Kaplan, there I am. Well, that makes sense. I mean, like they always say, and from a sales perspective, that people do business with people, not businesses. Right. And so at the same time, it's like, if your business is literally your name, people are doing business with you. (laughs) So it works out. I got a great client who's a Sandler sales coach. And one of the things he says to everyone is kind of his sign off for the videos that we were doing together. He said, Hey folks, remember before people will buy your product or service, they have to buy you. Mm. And I, and that just that once I heard that the first time I edited hundreds of videos for him, but once I heard that the first time I was like, yep, they got it. If they don't love you, if they don't trust you, then why would they ever want to spend a dollar with you? That's true, man. What a great education to be editing his videos it's just like people are paying for this content and you're, you're just watching it for free. Actually, you're getting paid to watch it. I mean, that's just good stuff right there. And full circle, when I worked at the tech startup that I got laid off from, he actually was the sales coach there over 10 years ago. So we reconnected and I was able to help him grow his business, which was kind of like for me, wow, that's a comeuppance. Like, I, I can't believe I'm now helping him when he helped me be a better salesperson. Oh, yeah, totally. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess his techniques worked on him. <laughs> it did. I used every single one. And at the end, I said, you see, I still remembered everything you taught me. He's like, okay, let's work together. Brilliant. I love it. Yep. Cool. So can you tell me maybe like a couple of specific, okay, so you changed the name. So that was kind sure. of big. And then what other things did you end up doing to really kind of start making your moves and positioning yourself in the marketplace? Sure. Sure. So with... I'm sure you've realized this too, with digital marketing, always changing, right? And it's kind of like, and personal story, I just got diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 35. Dang. It's taken me 35 years to finally realize why I was like all over the place, starting something, stopped, like couldn't, you know, almost like raking leaves in the backyard. I don't know if you have those there or if they burn up, but like when (laughs) we rake the leaves- right? They catch on fire. But here, like I would break little piles that had 20 piles around the yard. So one of the things is you you chase that new shiny carrot. And there's so many things. There's obviously social media, there's chatbots, there's email, there's text message, all that kind of stuff. So one thing that I can really, that I want to convey to anybody watching or listening is, again, choose what you enjoy and what you want to be doing day in and day out. You're putting puzzles together for people and you're ultimately, if you think about it, you're helping them keep a roof over their heads, feed their family, employ people, you know, help them live and survive. So you've got to think like, I don't want to be going to work and doing something I don't enjoy every day. That being said, we have always been an email marketing service company. Always, always, always. And I think we always will be. We get email, we build it, we create it, we design it. We just know how to do it. Like, honestly, it's something I could do in my sleep. 
someone comes and tells me a business and I have an email for them in 30 minutes. So that's something where we just built the muscle memory. And that's always been uh, one of our finer points. It also helped us to really boost our business because it's a real good entry-level service, mm-hmm. right? Once people understand the value, then, hey, you need a new website to grow your email list. Hey, we got to look at your social. Hey, you should build a YouTube channel. Hey, you need content. Hey, you need this. So it, it really, the way that we look at it is how can, cure, how can we create these different entry points to ultimately provide a comprehensive or complete package? So email is number one. Yeah, and then I'd say web design has been a standard. Uh, websites aren't dead, despite all the Facebook ads you see where it's like the website is dead, do this, and right. all the click funnel stuff. Like funnels are great, but people still need websites. And the average Joe and Jane business owner who live in the middle of Missouri, they just need a, biz- a simple website where people can find them, right? And then yeah. as you get more kind of complex, yeah, you get into landing pages, funnels, and all that stuff. So for us, it's just been exploratory. It's been an evaluation process. We've started many projects. We've started several sub-brands. Some of them took off and they're doing great. Like we have a review product that's wonderful. It helps a lot of people and it's growing every day. And then we had products where it turned out that it was 20 hours of client support and we're both, my business partner and I are banging our heads against the wall saying, why did we do this? And we right. you know, kind of put the kibosh on it understandable yeah it's it's funny it's like how can you make the argument that web is dead when people make just disgusting amounts of web searches a day like if people are searching then the website needs to be there to be the answer to that question like like it's crazy i'll tell you with with google we teach there's a, a great stat that i teach during one of my classes that when you snap your finger right it's like it's equivalent to a second and the snap of a finger, 40,000 plus searches happen on Google. So how can you not have a web presence and or start using these other things like rich snippets and all that other kind of stuff to really get your brand in front of people? Yep. That's part of the process I'm working through right now. We just moved our uh, website from Squarespace to uh, WordPress. And so uh, mm-hmm. we were just running into some sort of like wall when it came to search traffic. And so we, we've yep. been slowly making some changes to get that working, but uh, I make no claims to be a website designer. <laughs> so, no. but, um, but yeah, so that's just, uh, that's been the journey we've been on just making that happen. Cause the reality is people are, people are searching for services and products online. So mm-hmm. they're either going to find your competitor's website or they're going to find your website. So you choose, right? Yep. And so part of, I mean, that's, that's another part of standing out. Right. And so, um, okay, cool. And I'll, t- I'll tell you one more thing. So one it. more thing I'll tell you, Steve. So I, I think, you know, website is, is definitely it, right? But one thing that just came out from Think with Google, which I thought was a really amazing article and a really good study, is this idea of the messy middle. So it's the basically the, the customer journey and it's looking at how the pandemic affected customer decision making, right? Okay. And it also shines some light on how customers, it's not just a linear journey where they're searching for a service and then they say, hey, Steve, and I want to hire you. It's they're searching and then they're going to look at your reviews. Then they're going to look at your photos. Then they're going to watch videos if you have them or listen to these podcasts or whatever. And so there's going to be on average over a hundred touch points before they'll consider 
taking out their wallet and buying your services or products. Wow. So that's where the name of the game is being everywhere. It's being ubiquitous, but in a manageable way, creating content like this. And then, you know, of course, we had talked about this before we recorded a, a few weeks back. The whole idea of taking this and turning into snippets, putting in a blog post, putting on YouTube, all those different ways to recycle content, but get the, the brand out there. Right. Okay. So your, your home base is email marketing. So what I would love to hear is a couple of, of, of tactical things that you guys do when it comes to email marketing that helps an email stand out, right? Because I think sure. email is incredible, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. one of the only places where you own the information of the people that you're talking to, right? At any point in time, Facebook could say like, hey, guess what? You're not talking to your friends anymore. And they've done it. Yep. And uh, so email's not like that, thank God. And then yep. the second thing is, it's just such a great way to, you know, it's just like a good funnel too, right? Because you can send people to your social media, you can do videos, text, send them to your website. Uh, but at the very yep. least, people kind of still actually read their emails. And so it's just, it's just good stuff, right? But I don't need to convince you of that. Um, so this, this, like, what are a couple of <laughs> yeah. like, what do you think about email marketing? What are a couple of tactical things that you do in emails to make them stand out? Sure. So I think to your point, right? Email is effective. The way that I look at it is social media is like renting an Airbnb. That host can kick you out at any time for any reason right? You have a party and you have too many people, you're out. Uh, if you're too loud, you're out, things like that. Whereas having an email list is like owning an investment property. You're getting returns on it. It's an asset. So the number one thing is, yes, you own your list. I would say number one, hands down, do not buy a list. I have worked with thousands of email marketers, thousands of companies, and the ones that had the lists that they bought, they didn't see the returns. Now, there was one guy when I was first starting out in the startup, his whole business, and I knew this, but I needed to sign up accounts because I was a poor salesperson. He was like, I got a list of 50,000. I got to send up. Okay, new account. Here you go. Because I got my spiffs, my bonuses for setting up the accounts. Shame on me. But I saw, I would watch the returns. He'd send out an email. The returns were negligent. They were so small. So number one, don't buy a list. Number two, I think something that people don't realize is frequency is important. Uh, the average the average business owner is probably getting 70 plus emails a day, including the spam. And if they don't have filters turned on, it's all going right into their inbox. So how are you standing out? You know, not, first off, it's obviously from name, subject line, things like that, pre-header text, but also the frequency of send. So a lot of business owners think I should only send once a month. Nope. With more noise comes more reasons to send. Uh, you know, for us, our clients, we're, we're telling them to send at least bi-weekly, if not weekly. Some clients are sending 20 times a month, but in a methodical, strategic way. They have a right. plan. It's not just a shotgun spray and pray approach. So number two, I'd look at your frequency. And really, when you up your frequency, a great example, we have a realtor for Keller Williams in, uh, outside of Boston. One of my longtime clients, a really good friend, she's basically my guinea pig. She allows me to test anything with her brand. She's That's just awesome. like, here's the budget, go do it. Oh, it's, it's a marketer's dream. Uh, so we, I, at first we were sending a monthly email and we were getting okay open rates, but it's a, an email from a realtor, who cares? Then we changed the game. We turned it on its head. We spun it and said, hey, I am an expert in the industry, in the community. Hmm. I know what's going on. Here's activities. Here's, if you're going to buy, here's something to consider. If you're going to sell, here's something to consider. We started sending weekly. 
We saw, obviously, we saw a drop off and the list cleaned itself, which is a good thing. All those inactives unsubscribed or they replied back and said, remove me, fine, no problem. But then we saw the list grow from word of mouth because people were seeing it as a value add. We're averaging 18 to 22% open rates and click rates anywhere from five to 12%, which for a realtor sending a weekly email is insane. So frequency, right? Getting in front of them and getting those those, uh, impressions. I think the third thing is you don't always have to sell. So we have for us, for Bigger Better Biz, I can't, um, it's reflected. For Bigger Better Biz, we have a a community. Uh, You know, as a result of the pandemic, I said, listen, I can't teach right now. I can't fly anywhere. So what are we going to do? We started a free marketing community and got people to join so that I could teach them that way. I could basically drip feed them how to build your website, how to optimize Google My Business, how to do all these different things. Well, we're sending out emails probably twice a week, three times a week, depending. Plus, we're promoting my events that they can continue learning. What we've seen is that really people are enjoying these emails because we're not just selling. It might be an article, like you had mentioned before, you know, like writing for GoDaddy might be an article on, did you get a bad review? Here's how to respond to negative reviews. And I'll tell you just these little things, people write back, they're like, oh my God, I just got a negative review from an, uh, an employee that I had to let go. And now all of a sudden I didn't know what to do. Thank you. So right. it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's not just selling at them, it's adding value. And I think that brings me to the last thing for any of you that are coaches, consultants, uh, where you're working with a client. If, you know, we've already talked about this whole idea, establishing that you're helping them survive, you're helping to provide, and really you're helping them with Maslow's hierarchy of of needs, right? But one of the things that even, I watched a video from Will Smith, one of the things is, and you can't buy happiness, right? Material things, they're going to come and go. And if you had all the money in the world, soon enough, you'd lose passion for everything because you can have anything you want. The real intrinsic value comes from giving. And so I've found not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual guy. I'm not religious, but I found that coming from a place of giving and helping these business owners being at their disposal so that if they have a quick question, I'll answer it. I'm not going to charge them time, but at the same time, if I know that's going to help, you know, feed their family and everything else and employ their, their team, all the better. So even with these emails coming from a place of value, instead of coming from a place of sales, you're going to see a lot more open, a lot more click, a lot more share and word of mouth referrals. And ultimately you're going to see your list grow and become a bigger asset for you. Well, that, I mean, I talk about that so much when it comes to content marketing is that the idea is it's literally specifically not to sell uh, every single time. It's about bringing value and building a relationship. And it's like you said earlier, if people are doing a hundred touch points um, to before they decide if they want to purchase, I mean, you're going to have to build some sort of relationship on the front end because there's, there is not a situation with the exception of like someone desperate who they're going to be like, Oh, I saw one thing purchase. Like, it's just not, I mean, like that doesn't even happen with clothes and that's far less expensive decision. (laughs) That's like, you know, I have bad breath. I need gum. I'm thirsty. I need a water. Like that's all transactional items, but stuff like this, where it's considered purchase. Oh no, no one, unless they're really desperate and they're like, they've got their last 10 bucks and they think this can help them. No, it's not going to work. So how do you think through value when it comes to these emails? Because what I'm hearing from what you're talking about with the real estate agent is part of the pivot was realizing that like no one gave a crap about whether or not you were selling a home. They cared about what was happening in their community. So 
How does yep. one go about, I mean, obviously it would be impossible to give uh, advice that would help everybody, I think. Yep. But, you know, just for sake of asking, what kind of value would we uh, approaching things with? Is it mostly like hyper local or is it something that just like is an understanding of what your clients are? Like, how do you go about bringing that value in, say, emails, for example? Yep. So, uh, you know, you being content marketer too, you understand like understanding your audience, right? So uh, this is thrown around too, of course, buyer persona, marketing avatar, dream client, all those things. But there is a science to it and there's a method to the madness. Knowing your audience and understanding what makes them tick can help you identify things that actually are holistic, topics that are holistic that don't just necessarily mean that you have to sell at them, but giving them value for their entire quality of life. So, you know, again, I'll use the coffee guy when I started. All I was doing was marketing about coffee. Hey, here's what regular, how regular roast is made. Hey, here's decaf. No one really cares. They just care about their coffee. They yeah. just want to drink. Some of them really enjoy the taste. Some of them are just slamming three cups to get that caffeine fix so they can go during the day, sure. right? So it, if I could rewind 10 years, I would slap myself and say, it's not just about that. It's like, hey, here are some activities you can do while you're sipping your coffee. Here's a good breakfast pairing. So it's, it's really another term, think outside the box, but it's really thinking like, okay, if I'm in the, the shoes of my customer, my client, what do they need? Like what other things are happening in life? You know, if I'm talking to a business owner that's 30 to 45, maybe they still have kids, little kids. That might be something where I'm going to talk about how to ensure the quality of life with your kids, how to manage time, things like that. For a realtor, yeah, hyper-local, of course. Community events, weather, uh, you know, movies and showtimes. We, we had toyed with this idea of the weekender, because I'd seen it somewhere else and like, you know, having all these realtors sign up and then basically sending out a weekend email to give people a whole idea of what's going on. Mm. But that's just, it's too complicated and way too territorial. So it wouldn't have worked. But it's also like for an idea, when we send out emails, you know, I mentioned we might have one link at the top that talks about, hey, here are eight trails you can go out in Boston where you can socially distance. Mm. Awesome. People want to do that right now, right? Depending on the state. Well, then also we have a little segment that says for buyers, for sellers, for buyers. Hey, here's how to navigate this insane market right now right. for sellers. Here are five tips to stage your home to get top dollar. Well, guess what? Whether they read the article or not, sometimes we write them. Sometimes we curate them. If they click, they're showing me intent. If they show me the intent, they go on a list. If they go on the list, I send it to the client. Now her and her team call them and say, hey, I sent out an email and it had these different links. I just want to make sure you got it and see if you have any questions. She already knows they're an interested buyer or seller. We've won tons of business from that. That's incredible. And I think, man, that is, first of all, everything you just said, like this last like couple of minutes is gold. Because for me, like holistic marketing is like near and dear to my heart because I never believe that there is one thing that's gonna change all of it, right? Like there, it may yep. make a big impact, but it's always gonna be, there's always more to it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you had the strongest leg in the world, but you only had one leg, uh, you ain't getting anywhere real quick, right? And so that, I feel like sometimes people approach life like that, where it's like, oh, you know, Facebook ads are gonna change everything for me. Or I'm gonna make this one video and it's gonna change everything for me. No, it will not, but it can make a difference. Right, like obviously having you know, good strategy in an email was still made a big difference, but there was more to it than that. 
intent. Okay. So yeah, so I would love to hear. Okay, yeah. So for, so you know, for my example, really, Instagram is the thing where it's like you know, if sure. someone likes a post, you know, Instagram is not the only place like that. But just not underestimating those little intentions. And so, I think in your example, I would say that's more of like a medium to high intention, where like they're clicking on a link about something specifically that's directly mm -hmm. related to selling. Uh, but what other areas do you see intent that people tend to? Uh, either underestimate or, or poorly leverage? Sure. So, the, you know, I look at them as micro commitments, right? And I think working working with Google and speaking on behalf of Grow with Google and then studying psychology, I'm like, I just love psychology and consumer psychology. It, it just, it's amazing how the mind works and then how you can play to that. So for me, if they take any kind of action, it's a micro commitment mm -hmm. from, you know, opening it, and let's kind of look at it through a lens of email marketing. A lot of people might send out an email and say, wow, I got a great open rate. I got 50%. Yeah. Let's look at your list. 50% of the people are friends and family members who love you and will open every email you send. Right. right. So that was me. When, when we started, my email list was 75 people and it was our wedding list for people that we invited to the wedding. And I was like glorified. I was like, this is amazing. I got such a huge open rate, which was good for the start. But, you know, and then you look at what are the intents? So uh, if someone's, I think, I think it comes to, are you measuring correctly, right? So within each platform, of course, with Instagram and social media, Facebook, we have those insights that we can look at, kind of gives you an idea. But like you said, you lease those, you don't own those contacts. So it's something more like if you're getting someone in an email, what are they clicking on? I want to be using action-based triggers so that I can add them to a certain list. I can all, all of a sudden send them to a drip series. So for instance, if someone clicks on a, Hey, I'm interested in buying. Well, now we have a list that's that they're going to be added to where they're going to get a series of, Hey, here's what to think about when buying here's, you know, some different areas that are really good that have great school systems, things like that. So we're, we're kind of priming them with information and using that intent. We've saved a lot of time. She doesn't have to sit there and I don't have to sit there pressing send every time someone's interested in buying. So it's great. Uh, other areas, you know, like micro commitments that I think are really important is when we look at, uh, let's say Google analytics, right? Or any kind of analytics platform on your website, but I, I'll, I'll defer to Google analytics because there are a lot of things that people don't realize they can do. I think for most business owners, they're like, yeah, you know, I heard about Google Analytics. Some of my web designer set it up. And it's like one of those hack jobs is just a copy and paste. There's more to it. You can actually, what a lot of people don't realize, you can track conversions, which is great. So if someone, if you have a shopping cart, you can see when they go to your order confirmation page or when they fill out a form, but you can also track events. Mm -hmm. So I can track if someone's clicking on a certain button. I can use Google Optimize and I can, I can do split testing on my website to see, does this call to action work versus this call to action? So I'm getting a little bit more scientific here, but if I have that data, then I know what's playing to my audience. I have a better idea of building that buyer persona and then understanding, kind of thinking what's going to play with them, what's going to work. And if I know specifically buttons and what, what words, what verbs are being used on there to get them to click, I'm going to have that kind of flush out through my whole strategy in my emails on social with clicks. If I do ads using those verbs, things like that. So it's going to help me understand the language of my consumer as well. Well, I think that's great. I mean, like realistically marketing, uh, ideally should get more and more effective over time, right? Because you're, 
you're doing testing, yeah. whether it's A-B testing or, or whatnot. And so that way you can be like, oh, like more people responding to this. So now I'm going to spend the exact same amount of money, but instead of these two things, it's going to be this one thing or instead of five things is three things or what have you. Exactly. And, um, it's, it's pretty absurd. Some of the uh, amounts of experimenting I've, I've heard people do of like, oh, like we're going to have a button and one's going to be this color and one's going to be this color. And we're going to duplicate that and have it different words and duplicate that and have it be different fonts. And it's no, like simple, insane. No, it's, it's, it's keep it simple, silly, right? It's yeah. the kiss principle. Like it, you, you test two things, just test two. If you want to make it three, great, do three, but you know, colors do play in the psychology of colors definitely plays in lighter backgrounds on websites induces more click through than a darker background, mm. uh, you know, and then with visuals, the way that we process images, having lighter visuals is easier to see. It's easier for the receptors in our eyes. So people are going to process and act on it faster. There's that kind of stuff that goes into it, but like the simple things of just doing register now versus grab your seat or claim your spot test them out and see. And that's where what I love is you can use, this is why I love email because it's so flexible and it's so iterative that I can send out a campaign and maybe, you know, I got a good open rate, but people didn't act. I can send out that same campaign a few weeks later. No one's going to remember the content and change the subject line. And I'm going to change the calls to action and see if something else works better. Right? So that's, that's really uh, for a marketer, any kind of person that's trying to test your messaging and your, your, um, your, dip, your kind of conversion rate. That's a great way to do it. Nice. So I want to, you know, honor your time and try sure. to wrap up here in a couple of minutes. So, um, what were a couple, if, if you had to pick, what are a couple of things that people are doing, um, that's really stopping them from standing out better? And, um, and what are, yeah, let's start, let's start there and then let's answer the question. What are a couple of people that you see doing it really well, like standing out? Sure. Okay. Uh, what are people doing that's stopping them overthinking? And I, that's where I came from. So, you know, I'm coming from a place where I was an academic, I was straight A student, really hard on myself with grades and everything. And then you see, like, I see this, this guy that was, uh, that I knew from school who was like a complete putz. And, and I see him, he's running like a, he's running a big company now. It's a cannabis company, which is great for him, but it's, it's, you know, he's running this big multi-million dollar company. And I'm just like, man, I was focused on grades. That guy was partying, but he had the drive and he had the, he took the initiative, which is the thing. It took me years to get that initiative. Mm -hmm. So number one is overthinking things. And when you overthink, you're making excuses. So, you know, I'm not going to use that because it's very inappropriate, but excuses are like certain thing. Everybody has one, right? So yeah. there's, a, there's a, an old saying that, yeah. But I think the, the big thing is people that aren't doing it right or that could be doing better is just doing a little bit at a time. So I'm a student of the do something principle. Stop worrying about everything else. You're going to be overwhelmed no matter what, you know, with Marcus Aurelius, right? The, the Caesar of, of Rome. Mm -hmm. One of the things he says in, in one of his books to paraphrase is basically you can't control what the world throws at you. You can only control how you react to it. So in that, one thing you can do is just figure out what you want to tackle and do a little bit at a time. Right. And it's in us to freeze. 
especially like this is the psychology part of me, but the reptilian brain gets overwhelmed. If you've ever noticed you like go on a drive, you're doing tons of stuff. You're getting so much done. And then for three days, all you can do is this and you just have no initiative, no drive. It's the reptilian brain at work. It's like, I've done too much. I need to rest. Yeah. So the whole thing there is to trick your brain into doing just one thing and making a list. Uh, people that are doing it well, um, you know, there's two schools of thought on his tactics and uh, basically the way that he sells. But I, I do like Russell Brunson. I think um, he's a he's a smart marketer. He's built a really good community and a following, which is huge. Uh, he's very sales based and, and a lot of sales copy, a lot of funnels, which works for certain people, especially those that aggressively want to grow their businesses. Right. Doesn't work for others like the like I mentioned, like the Joe and Jane from the middle of Missouri turns yeah. them off. But um, I do, I definitely watch his stuff. I, I read his stuff. I get his emails and I, I, you know, definitely have borrowed certain things from him and, and turned it into my own. Yeah. I think that's a good, you know, any marketers is going to look and, and watch and see how they can turn it into their own flavor. I think another one that uh, does really well, and this is coming from, you know, being a speaker is Tony Robbins. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've never gone to one of his events or anything. I've, I've checked out some of the different stuff he has, but I know people who have gone to events, Dakota Riley, the realtor that I talked about, she went to one of his events and it was life-changing for her. It turned her from 35th agent in the office to number one with a team of eight leading the pack, right? So for certain people it works, but the way that he's built his business is very impressive. Of course, he's got those high ticket, you know, clients, and he's charging hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. But then he's also doing the events and then he feeds them into small groups and he feeds them into other events. He has courses and trainings. I think he's disseminated his knowledge in a very smart way in a very sound business model that allows it uh, to keep going. And, it, and basically for any of us, you know, the goal is I want to be able to go to sleep or I want to be able to go upstairs and hang out with my kids for the next four hours and still be making money. Wouldn't that be awesome? Mailbox money, right? The MRR, the monthly recurring revenue. Right. The, the guy has created an amazing model to do so. So I'd say those two right there definitely are doing it right and worth taking a look. Well, you know, one thing that's, uh, that you saying that triggered a memory of, uh, I believe it was Tony Robbins that was talking about it, about um, when you're like promoting your services or product, that you should be the one in the video talking about it, even if you're not really good at it. Because uh, he was talking about like the fact that there's no one more passionate about what you're doing than you are, because you're the one making it. And so just that idea of um, one of the ways that you stand out uh, as per Tony Robbins is to um, is the passion. The passion is actually something that is one of those variables that's a little intangible, um, but it helps people stand out. Uh, because lots of people could be offering what you're offering, but if you care deeply about it, there's something about that that makes that it gives even the perception that it's just going to be better because you care more. Like I remember, I was remember back in the day I worked at. I don't know if you guys have Sprouts Farmers Market. Uh, it's more of a West Side thing, but they're expanding. I've seen. I, I grew up in or I lived in Oregon for years, so yeah, I've seen them around. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I used to work there in the deli, and there was a guy that took forever to make a sandwich but people would literally request him because they were like man he's there's just something about the way he's making it that's just better and um and so yeah the same thing with like you know growing your business if you're expanding it growing it uh wanting to stand out 
just being able to share that passion, I think is huge uh, because that's something that connects with people. I will tell you too, I was a Subway sandwich artist. That was one of my first jobs. One of the most thankless jobs there is. So be nice to your Subway sandwich artist. But um, I, I had a deli guy when I lived outside of Boston, same thing. Like you waited because he would, it was almost like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. You waited because it was good and you wanted to wait. Right. The, I think the last thing just to, to piggyback on that, you want to exhibit your passion and demonstrate and display it, but you have to do it in a way that's tactful and graceful, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just say, I'm passionate about marketing. There's so many marketers that are like that. I, and then you're showcasing like, you know, you're, you're in people's faces talking, I made this person X amount of money and stuff. You know, some people like that. Most people don't. So it's, it's figuring out a way to distribute that passion uh, in a way that's digestible because it could be too much for one person, right? someone watching this or someone coming to one of my webinars or something an hour is just enough time. Cause it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of information and then you need to veg. So I would say my, my kind of cautionary tale there is make sure that you're splitting it up and finding different ways to, to actually share it so that people can embrace it, absorb it, and ultimately like you more and like you enough to, to work with you. Right. Well, I think probably just taking off the pressure that you have to, that every time you share your passion, you have to sell is probably going to alleviate a lot of that shenanigans where it's like, you can literally just talk about it. Like you would talk about anything else. And, and then if people really want it that bad, they'll, they'll figure out how to get it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're right on. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Um, it was, it's just really cool to hear your journey about how you, you grew personally and how that's definitely affected the way that you've served your customers. I think is really, really cool. And, and certainly there is, there's no uh, teacher like uh, trial and error sometimes. And so sometimes yeah. it's nice for us to be able to practice on ourselves. Uh, so that way we can bring our A game for our customers. So uh, appreciate you sharing that open honesty um, story about how you started and uh, really appreciate it. So thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity and keep doing what you're doing. Cause I think you've got a great concept here and you're going to help educate a lot of people. So thank you. I hope so. I, w- I want people to succeed. So a rising tide raises all boats, right? You got it. Cool, man. Thank you. I want to cause no problems. I just want to live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters. We know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you want to talk, let's talk. But right here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant.